Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of the NBA page with you as always. And today, let's welcome in my man, Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. We're going to be breaking down uh, news out of the bubble and games. How's it going, Dan? How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Are you doing better than, say, Notre Dame-Wake Forest football? I think Wake Forest is fine as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, as, as we work for NBC, we will no longer be insulting uh, Notre Dame and their football. Um, <laughs> um, we'll move on to where there isn't really a pandemic problem. Uh, the NBA bubble. Uh, we're fresh on the heels of the Tyler Hero explosion for 37 points and, and just this kind of, well, let's be honest. They're still in this thing because Kentucky has now bailed out Miami between Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero. They won them that game and put them up 3-1, just one game outside of the uh, – one game away from the championship, which I just not a place I thought the Heat would be when this all started. I probably should have learned this lesson sooner. I was too low on the draft in the draft on Tyler Hero. I was too low on Bam Adebayo. I was too low on Devin Booker. And I, I think the lesson you just got to take is when players look one dimensional at Kentucky, they might not be right. Like, yeah, Tyler Hero did not play this way. He did not have the versatility. Uh, in his offense, he wasn't running pick and rolls like this. Bam Adebayo wasn't passing like this. He didn't show all these skills. Even defensively, he wasn't doing this much. Uh, Devin Booker, I think, is a, another class example of a far more versatile game than he looked like often just a spot-up shooter at Kentucky. Uh, these Kentucky players can do a lot more, and it's uh, it's fun to see them spread their wings, especially for Tyler Hero in a big moment like that. Do you think that's just a system thing with Kentucky? I mean, this is a team so loaded with talent and just Calipari's going to try to keep guys compartmentalized a little like, hey, Tyler Hero can shoot. We're going to use him in that role. And we've got, they're just so loaded with talented guys that they can take them and, uh, like I said, just kind of keep them in their lane a little more of of what they're doing as opposed to exposing their overall game. And maybe, maybe scouts are seeing this in practice and you and, I don't know about you. I have not been to a Kentucky practice recently. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think it is, is that they've got so much talent. They can pigeonhole guys into specific roles that suit their strengths. And I I think that's Calipari's MO is, hey, thrive in your limited role, uh, accept your role. And, you know, guys do that. They go to Kentucky wanting to be part of of that system and they do it. And yes, I also do believe that in pre-draft when scouts, you know, can look at practices, maybe some, or also especially get them into to workouts that, that, hey, you can see these players are capable uh, in a way that the viewing public who just watches Kentucky games on TV could not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is Hero a little bit bubble, though? I, I'm curious how this carries over to next season. I don't think, like, I feel like with him, he wasn't this quite this player during the regular season. Part of that was remember he had an ankle injury. He, uh, I remember he was in a boot at all-star weekend. 
Um, and, he, and, it, and this gave him time to heal. And I think for a lot of guys, the bubble's almost like the second season, a second season, right? Like it, 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 you had time off in between to get healthy, work on skills, whatever it was. And they came back almost like it would be for a next season where they came back with certain improvements or, or in some cases out of shape. But, um, I, I feel like heroes taken steps forward, but I'm really curious to see what he looks like in a, in the grind of an NBA season and with some hostile fans and some stuff he just hasn't faced. I'm curious to see what he looks like in the next game. Uh, <laughs> he, this was an all time, like great performance by him considering his age. No question. Not trying to take that away from him, but I, I just think, you know, there was a lot of shot making and shot making tends to be the thing that's not quite as sustainable. Uh, he's a good shooter, right? He can do it better than most. What I've really been impressed by throughout the bubble though, is just uh, his expanded game. He's being more of a playmaker. I didn't see this type of passing from him earlier in the season. He's helping out on the glass. Like he's just doing a, a lot more on the court than he did earlier. Uh, the shot making he's capable. Clearly. Uh, I don't know how sustainable it is because even before last night, uh, his shooting in the bubble was not that far off from his shooting during the regular season. On the flip side of this, with Boston, do you, do you feel? I, I still feel like this is a team that, if you told me that they came back and won this thing, they won the last three. I, I don't think that that's totally impossible and totally out of out of character. And and by the way, maybe it's just because we've watched Denver do it twice, you know, in the, in these playoffs, and so it doesn't seem as as radical a concept, but I, I just feel like they're, that's a team maybe learning some hard lessons about execution and what it's going to take to win. And, and maybe some roster. I, I mean, we came into these playoffs thinking they were a player away. Maybe they're still a player away. I think the Celtics are better than the heat. I mean, this series in terms of points is tied. Uh, the Celtics won one game soundly. The heat have won three very close games. You know, I, I think this could have gone, a different direction. Now, I don't think the Celtics are so much better than the Heat that I'm going to predict them to win three straight. Uh, although I'm with you that you know it wouldn't be the most shocking thing ever or anything like that. Uh, but I, I do think the Celtics are better. They've got a little more offensive firepower. They also defend well. Uh, they just haven't gotten the right breaks. This is a tough matchup for them uh, because they just look like they're really struggling against this Heat zone. Uh, I think they figured out some stuff last night, but even in the process, like Marcus Smart driving, kicking, like a lot of that was was working uh, a lot of that worked in the previous game too but they just seem so uncomfortable throughout i think that's what led to a lot of the turnovers too kind of a side tangent here but i was having a conversation with someone else today about this i am sometimes surprised at how much teams have struggled against the zone a little bit and and granted i think teams have gotten better at nba teams have gotten better at playing zone as they've done more of it and nobody played as much as my Miami played literally twice as many possessions as anybody else running zone this year during the regular season. But there are distinct ways to attack the zone. And I kept waiting for Boston to do them and they didn't. And we've seen that with Denver against the Lakers a little bit and stuff. And, and with Jokic, I would think it's kind of the perfect way to break down a zone. If you could flash them to the middle and get him the ball. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm surprised it has been as effective as it has been. Yeah, me too. Me too. But you know, when you're, you're not used to seeing it, it can be tough. And it's not like the Heat are running just zone. They've, they've mixed it up. They've kept the Celtics off guard. I think some of it is just the change of pace too. Another thing to deal with, but I'm with you. I am surprised that it has been this effective. 
if you're Boston, is your challenge now finding a way to keep Kemba from getting exposed too much defensively? I mean, there Miami is hunting him. And to be fair, Boston absolutely hunted Duncan Robinson. But now with Miami, you've got to find a way to cover Kemba, who's not a not the world's worst defender, but he's the guy you're going to hunt on that roster. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the challenge with Kemba is on both sides of the ball because of everything you brought up defensively. I also think, you know, he loses a lot with going to the zone. Uh, you know, he's not the biggest, strongest driver. Like, I, you know, I, I think the zone has been probably the most effective against him uh, rather, relative to any other Celtic. Yeah, exactly. And you can't have another Jason Tatum oh for the first half type of game. That's just He can't afford that now. They can't... Uh, they, if Boston's going to win this, their margin for error is obviously now zero. <laughs> and they're uh, they're going to have to do this. I, this kind of, though, brings around the topic I really wanted to get into today, Dan. The biggest risers in the bubble, the guys who have seen the biggest kind of boost in the bubble and, and, and whether we think that will carry over for them. And I, you know, I guess Hero's got to be at the one of the right at the top of that list right now, just because of the buzz off of that game. But he has been. I mean, he's been done double digits like for every playoff game for them. Like we were saying, he's just been better since he came back than we had seen even during the regular season when Kendrick Nunn was the guy. The Kendrick Nunn had a really important season for them in the first 60 games, and now he's just not there. Yeah. Uh, are they going to have to move Hero into the starting lineup? Because I think that's been one under-discussed yeah. aspect of this is like he's doing it coming off the bench, playing a lot of minutes straight. Uh, all the minutes he's playing, rather than jamming them, into 48 it's essentially like hey we're not starting the clock until a few minutes into each half that makes it tougher right that's a a lot that he's enduring um you know to me if i'm looking at the biggest risers number one though like i'm trying to get outside the recency bias of of hero last night because that does change his stock no question but if we did this a day earlier and i still think the number one runaway breakout player of the bubble is jamal murray like yes he's never made an all-star game and i was on a radio show the other day and they asked me is he a superstar now not just a star is he a superstar now and i'm like no i haven't seen enough but he's playing like one he is making shots from everywhere yeah. uh and we knew he was a good scorer we knew he was a good shooter he's making the right passes i've seen his defensive intensity pick up uh, plenty of times like he's doing it all and uh he to me is number one for this question by a mile he's a guy where going into the bubble i said I, and, and going into the playoffs, I'm like, I believed in Jokic. And I think Jokic's stock has gone up. We'll get to we'll talk a little bit about him in a second, but I think his stock has gone up here. But I went in, I was a believer that he was a number one offensive option. You could build a championship team around him, but who was the number two? And I'm like, I don't think Jamal Murray's a number two. I think they overpaid. I think he's probably a three or four on an elite team. I was wrong. <laughs> he is, his stock has gone up. He has looked like a true number two. Like you said, I don't know if I go with superstar yet, but he is absolutely a cornerstone foundational piece for them. And it becomes about how now you fit guys around those two. That's a very different task than having to find another one of those guys. It He's um his ability to create shots. And, and by the way, what's really impressed. Yeah. He's shooting 47% from three in the bubble. Um, that's not sustainable. Like he's not going to, he's not going to continue to do that Uh, or in the playoffs, I should say not in the bubble, but in the playoffs, he's shooting 47% from three. But what's really helped is he's finished so much better in the paint. Um, Now that he's getting to the rim and 
he was a, it wasn't a terrible finisher. He was kind of an average NBA finisher. Now he's finishing at a higher percentage and, uh, you know, five or 6% higher. Um, and I've suddenly can't find the numbers, but he, he was finishing at a five, about 5% higher than he was. That just makes him so much more dangerous. That makes him such a better threat. And then he can pass out of that because now you have to come and take away his shots at the rim. He's not as good of a passer as you would like from your starting point guard, but that's fine when you have Nikola Jokic, right? It's that scoring ability that you want, and he's passing well enough for this role. I really like this tandem. I think, you know, the Nuggets are in great shape going forward, and uh, we can talk about another player I have on my longer list of players who raised their stock in the bubble, and Michael Porter Jr., right? Like, that could be a very good third player. Now, there is still the concern, right, uh, of his back, of his health. Uh, It's not that everybody thought, oh, he'll never be able to play in the NBA. One of the big questions from, from a lot of people was, Okay, how long can his back keep up? Him playing well, you know, in his delayed rookie year, that doesn't negate that question. But at least he's showing that he is hitting the upside of what people thought he could be when healthy. Like, what a tremendous shot maker. Now, a lot of ways to go defensively especially, but he's showing the talent that a lot of people believed in. Yeah, I could say he's got to prove it over a little bit longer stretch of time. I don't think with him, though, like you said, Going into the draft, the, the question was never, is Michael Porter Jr. good? At, like, he was a top handful pick in that draft outside of the fact that everybody was, there was red flags about his back. And, and yeah, it was the Clipper guy. And, and that's motivation for the Clipper doctor. And that was motivation for Porter Jr. Great. He wasn't alone, man. Like, this was, this was pretty much league-wide. And this became a, I remember draft night when he was falling and I'm like, Denver got him. I'm like, that's the perfect place to take him. That's the perfect place to take that gamble. Because if it doesn't work out, you know, you was 14, if I remember right, 13, 14, that's, you're hoping to get a rotation player. If you miss, you miss, that's okay. And if he turns out to be special, that's, that's a great get there. But it wasn't, other teams higher up just weren't willing to take that risk because they felt like this floor was, the floor for him, if his back was bad, was really zero. Yeah, it's, it's 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 as bad as it gets, and so he's he's done really well. And Joker, by the way, Nikola Jokic through this. If we're going to stick with Denver players, I like I said, I believed in him, but I think the public perception of him has gone up. I think for the casual fan, your people are now like, oh wow, like this guy is that good. You know, I, I'm a I've been very high on him uh, his whole career, but I've always had questions. You know, can he? advance deep in the playoffs and hold up defensively. I I think to some people he's underrated defensively. He, you know, some of some people just see him as, you know, complete liability. He's not that he can contribute in ways. Uh, But man, once you start hunting him in the pick and roll, I had a lot of questions about how he'd hold up and he's done okay enough. Now I wonder whether the teams that Denver has been playing have been targeting him enough or whether there's something in these specific matchups where he is holding up better than he would over the long run in these playoff matchups. I'm not completely convinced, uh, but I feel a lot better about it now that I'm seeing this run and he's young. He's very talented offensively. I think maybe there's something to be said about this style of play working in the playoffs. We're seeing the heat do it running their offense through a big man and bam out of bio often. Uh, the Nuggets yeah. running their offense through a passing big man in Nikola Jokic. Like maybe there's something too. This is a style that translates. Uh, and, you know, the, the Nuggets offense has been very good. And uh, so, yeah, Nikola Jokic is definitely on my list of, of players whose stock have, have risen. And that's coming, that's my own opinion. And I'm somebody, again, who was high on him already. There's so few centers you can do that with, though, who have the passing chops 
to, I mean, you, you see Portland kind of do it with Nurkic, right? Who was, by the way, taken in the first round in the, the mid-teens somewhere. I'm going to forget exactly where I want to say 17, but I'm not positive about that. Uh, mid-teens somewhere in the same draft Jokic was, right? Like that. And he's got some passing skills and you can kind of do him, especially on a short roll type of situation like the Warriors use Draymond. Um, he was really, he kind of thrives in that, but how many guys can you really run the offense through as a passing, as a big man like that? I mean, because they've got to be able to pass. You can do it with Bam. You can do it with Jokic. A little bit Anthony Davis maybe, but he's not a great passer. And then no. uh, Embiid? I'm like, I'm not, there's just not that many. No, there's not. And it, it's even a, a shorter list when you know you, you want a big man who can also defend. Now, one way to get a big man who can pass is go smaller, turn a, a power forward who's a little more skilled into your center. But you're going to give up a lot defensively. Uh, yeah. The Heat with Bam Adebayo are not. You brought up Draymond Green. That's what makes him special is he can fill yeah. that passing role without giving up anything defensively as the big man. With Jokic, you are giving up something defensively. It's not as much as I thought, but it's still something. And, yeah. and Anthony Davis, obviously, not giving up as much defensively. But I, I see passing as as the weak point in his game, which says a lot about you know how good he is at pretty much every skill. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah. He ended up. I ended up doing when I officially voted. I didn't realize I could. Uh, I, I terrorized the poor people at the NBA because I didn't realize I could change my all NBA ballot. I uh, around and I ended up doing it on them just because. I didn't realize you could play Anthony Davis at center till another voter had said, well, you put Anthony Davis at center. I'm like, you can't, right? He played more minutes at forward. I, like, no, they they put in all this flexibility this year. I'm like, oh, well, now I need to change things. <laughs> and went back and reworked it on them. Um, and, and the NBA was accommodating there. But yeah, but he's the best big in the game right now, Anthony Davis, in terms of just complete package. And pass, if his passing is his weak point, he's not, he's not terrible at it. He's, that's just not his biggest strength. Uh, by the way, if we're talking about guys who stock are up from guys who are still playing, it's good to be Goran Dragic right now. Hey, he was number two on my list. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he's a guy who uh, part of this was injury related, right? Like his knees were not right. He played 36 games last season. He'd had surgery and you just kind of thought father time and started to win that race. He's been phenomenal and whether it's a one-year contract with the Heat or if somebody else tries to sneak in and, and grab him uh, on a longer-term deal, he's getting paid this summer because of his bubble play. Oh, yeah. This I mean, summer, yeah. this offseason. I've got to stop doing <laughs> right. that. Right. <laughs> Easy trap to fall into. You know, he, he was playing better during the regular season than he did last year. Much better. It was nice to see. Uh, but just a completely different level. In the bubble, he just looks so much zippier, uh, and it's yeah. I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, he's thirty four years old. You don't expect to see this, like you said, the injury issues. Uh, when you have injury issues at that age, uh, usually it's a pretty straight hill uh, hill down. And man, he he is adding a big boost to the Heat. Uh, his ability to penetrate to to get baskets, uh, such a crafty finisher too. He can shoot from the outside, uh, and it, but it, it's all predicated on his his movement ability he's just looks so quick now all of a sudden it, it's real fun to watch him and yeah. that's one of the biggest reasons the heat are still playing all right you're a gm how many years do you give him i guess look the heat i think we know what the heat are gonna do this summer or the, again this, i gotta stop doing it. this offseason <laughs> um they want to preserve their cap space for 2021, whether or not Giannis, I'm not even going to get into that, whether it's Giannis or someone else, they want the flexibility to attack that summer because there's a, there's other good players uh, out there. 
they'll come back with one big year for him, right? I would think. Uh, I think um, that's the but, but that's most likely where the direction they go, and then they keep their flexibility for 2021. If you're another GM, would you come in for three years and at a lower price per year, but more guaranteed money? Or is that too big a risk? It depends where I am as a team, because I think you're paying for the front end. That's your way of beating a heat offer. Maybe you don't have the ability because the heat have his bird rights. Maybe you don't have the ability uh, to offer as much money in year one just because of cap rules, but you want to give him this money because you want him for year one. You don't necessarily, I would not go into it counting on him being a, a big contributor in later years in that contract. But I'll give you a team I think makes a lot of sense. The Clippers. I think yep, they could I was thinking that. use a, a playmaking guard like him. And they are pot committed to winning with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And as long as they're in that mode, they're probably not going to have meaningful cap space. Uh, you know, it, it's possible they could open it up, but I think that would mean short tracking their roster, not giving themselves the best chance to win a championship next year. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. So maybe going after somebody like Goran Dragic with the mid-level exception, maybe even have to offer him four years to get him enough compensation where he takes it and you're paying for that front end of the contract, but the upside is a championship. That's to me where it makes sense. Yeah, that's a, it's funny. That was the first team that popped to mind and I was trying to think of others that might be in that boat. And, and then for Goran, it comes down to team and lifestyle and, uh, you know, not just money, but also how does he feel being in Miami and, and the lifestyle and the life he's built there versus, you know, obviously I think, I'm just going to assume he has a summer home in LA because every player has a summer home in LA, but um, it'll be interesting to see who, who's third on your list. Who is third on your stock rising players in the bubble? All right. So I had a real top four. And I got a longer list, but we've already gotten through one through three, which is Jamal Murray, Goran Dragic and uh, Nikola Jokic. My number four is Jimmy Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. He's playing so well and he's proving he's a winner. He's there's so many people who thought he's a problem. He's difficult in the locker room. I didn't get that. I I've been pro Jimmy Butler the whole way, uh, but I think he's opened his eyes to a lot of people because the Heat have won. Now some of this I really do think is you know hey they got the right matchup. They matched up well with the Bucks. The Bucks were vulnerable. The Bucks hadn't been playing that well in the bubble. Maybe if uh, if the Heat had to play, let's say the the Raptors in the second round, maybe that would have gone the other way. Uh, so I, I think some of this is luck, but hey, he's playing well, he's winning, he's answering a lot of questions, he's changing perception of the Heat franchise, right? Just a, we're piling on, we're talking so much about Heat culture, because it's true, Heat yeah. culture does exist, they do things differently, they develop players well, they work hard. I do believe it's true, but we're talking a lot about it. Players who are going to be free agents in 2021 are hearing that, and I think Jimmy Butler is looking like somebody you want to play with. Uh, not somebody you want to avoid. And I think everybody's recognizing that now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the culture fit matters, but I think this is just a marriage that works. Jimmy Butler did not, Jimmy Butler was Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, but he clashed with Carl Anthony Towns and, and Andrew Wiggins and, you know, Wiggins can now ply his trade in Golden State, which is going to be interesting. But, um, you know, that, that personality fit wasn't there. He goes to Philadelphia, the fits better personality wise, but he still it wasn't right where he wanted it to be. He had his frustrations with Brett Brown and he moves on to a place that's just kind of a match made in heaven for him and he wins. But I don't think Jimmy Butler's changed through any of that. He's just been who he's been. He just needed to be in the, he thrived in Tom Thibodeau's Chicago Bulls situation. He had to be in the right situation again. Um, and he, and he takes off and he's, like I said, 
I, his stock is up. I don't know how much his stock is up in the sense that there are other, every other team should be chasing him, but his value as a winner is way up. Right. I, I do think he has changed a little bit throughout this. Uh, he became a star. He's enjoying being a star. I don't blame him for this one bit because he's still doing all the things he needs to do. He's still working hard. He's still playing with an edge. Like I don't yeah. think stardom ha- has hurt him in the way uh, maybe some people in Chicago thought it did when they got rid of him. Uh, but I do think he has changed a little bit. But in the most important ways, he is still Jimmy Butler. and That's great. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the longer list of guys, I'll tell you the guy – I would have next on my list, Devin Booker. Now, granted, they were eliminated. You know, the, the Suns were gone early, but Devin Booker really stepped up in the bubble. And I think the, the fact that the Suns were winning, as opposed to him putting up what were before kind of seen as empty calorie numbers, helped his cause. I, I think he boosted his stock. I, I agree. Um, you know, somebody similar who uh, didn't didn't really do it in the playoffs, but in the seeding games, TJ Warren also on my, yeah. my longer list, uh, you know, shot well from outside convinced us he's a scorer. Now look to me, Devin Booker made the leap, uh, this season. I, you know, I thought he deserved to be an all-star for the first time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I thought he just really rounded out his game, became more efficient, did a lot of those smaller things better. Uh, and then had a nice eight game winning streak at a, you know, a time where the eight games were separated. The sun still didn't make the playoffs though. It's not on him. Uh, but I think for him to, to get into like true perception change, he's got to get into the playoffs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else on your list we should be talking about? Uh, let's see. We, we mentioned Bam out of bio. I think he's doing a lot of the same things yes. he's been doing, but just getting attention for it. Uh, I thought OG and Anobi played very oh, yeah. well in, in the bubble, heading into contract extension talks. Uh, Duncan Robinson doing a lot of the same things he's done all season, but getting more attention for it because the heat are winning. Uh, Gary Trent jr. I, I thought uh, boosted really his good. Stock. Yeah. He had yeah, a really uh, good bubble. Shooting well, defending well, showing he had a little bit of, of ability to play inside the arc too. He looks like a definitely a keeper for the Trailblazers. And uh, Keldon Johnson was somebody who I hadn't really yeah. seen much of it as like, oh, I don't know what, what he's going to be in the NBA. Yeah, he looks like a player. He he hustles. He plays hard. He can shoot a little, uh, can handle the ball a little. He, you know, he also looks like somebody who's shown he can stick. Yeah, exactly. Um, just for a note for people listening, we'll, we'll, talk about it briefly. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on Lakers nuggets because by the time you hear this, it'll almost be time for uh game four in that series, which will obviously alter this. I will ask this, Dan, do you think the game three gave the nuggets? I mean, that's, I guess they're a team with confidence, but do they now feel like they've really got a shot in this series? I think they thought that all along. I mean, they almost won uh, the, the game before yeah. too. I, I mean, they're in this, right? They're, they're going to make the Lakers play to a certain level. The Nuggets aren't going away. They're not crumbling. The Lakers are going to have to earn this series victory. I think the Lakers will. I think they've got more talent. But to be honest, I would have said the same thing about the Clippers too. That's very true. Very true. And I I, I will say this for Denver, and I think to their credit, and, and they get better as the series goes on. This is a young team where their legs are not fading, and they're, they, they do seem to kind of piece things together and, and execute the game plan better as it goes on, as, in, as they figure out what they want to do. So the, the Lakers, although I think it, for them, it just simply comes back to the defense. If they're getting stops and getting some transition buckets, they're going to win the series. If they're stuck in the half court, they're in trouble. Um, we'll move on to the other big news going on around the NBA. The coaching carousel is, is running rampant. Billy Donovan is in Chicago. Do you like that fit? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, I think Billy Donovan has proven himself as a solid NBA coach. He, he showed he can manage a, a team trying to win in Oklahoma City. Through all his time at Florida, he proved himself as a developer. Uh, Chicago definitely needs somebody who can help develop players. The Bulls might also try to win sooner than they should, knowing how that ownership operates. Uh, Billy Donovan can help with that. But I mostly just think, look, at their, their last coach was a disaster. The coach before that was a disaster. There's sometimes maybe teams should more often swing for a great coach, try to get somebody with a lot of upside. I don't think that's Billy Donovan, but after everything the Bulls had been through, I think there's value in getting a coach who you know is going to be a solid NBA coach, especially when you have a first-time lead executive. Uh, I think Billy Donovan can do good things for stabilizing that organization. Yeah, exactly. I think he puts he'll put the players in good positions. They, to me, this first year is Billy Donovan and Arturis and everybody sitting down and playing different combos and deciding who fits and who doesn't and what type of team they're trying to build and how this works out. And I think they've got the number four pick in this draft. Is that right? If I'm remembering this right off the top of my head. Right. Um, hey, how do all these players fit together? Who's, who's a long-term guy here? Who's not? Um, and, and look, is Kobe White your starting point guard of the future or is, is he kind of a, six man off the bench. What do you do with, you can get a lot of points out of Zach Levine, but to, can you win with him? There's, there's a, can you keep Laurie Markkinen? I, to me, he's the key for the whole thing. Can you just keep him healthy and on the floor? Then he's valuable. Um, but there's just a lot of pieces they have to figure out. And when they figure out who doesn't, they've got to make some smart trades and start bringing in more talent. And I'm not sure, by the way, ultimately, if you're talking about the highest levels, you've got to build a foundation there, but they don't have a, they don't have a number one, right? They don't have an I mean, alpha. No, I mean, I don't, honestly, they don't have a single player where I feel really good about, yeah, he's going to be a, a, a real key contributor when this team gets good. Uh, I like Lowry Markin's potential, but he took a big step back this year, and it, yeah. there was a lot of things going on. It's hard to pinpoint what maybe a coaching change will help. Uh, Zach Levine has talent. Uh, he fancies himself in that role. I think he's in over his head in that role. I think that's part of the reason the bulls have struggled like that's i think a little too much for him and you know it's just these young players you know, there's there's signs there that maybe it could work out but none of them that i really strongly believe in yeah exactly there's a there's a lot of roster building to do there that said i could see them jumping up to compete for the 8 seed in the east if they if things come together a little more smoothly for them and i think billy donovan can get more out of guys and put them in Look, he's he's had to fit together some interesting rosters before and and kind of make it work. I think he can do that. So I, I think it's a floor raising pick. Um, that has fueled a lot of speculation uh, out there. That next up on the coaching carousel will be Mike D'Antoni to Philadelphia, which is a really if if it goes that way is a that's a change. Like you've, a year ago, you were going the opposite direction. You were getting as big as you could and figuring the playmaking would work itself out. And now you're going 180 degrees. Yeah, this is not a team that looks like a Mike D'Antoni team. And, you know, no. look at roster changes could follow, right? I, I think there's definitely some desire to trade Al Horford regardless. Uh, maybe it means. That. Exactly. Maybe it means trading Tobias Harris. But I just think ignore all the other complicating issues, which aren't nothing. To me, a team that has Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, that doesn't look like a a Mike D'Antoni team, right? And if no. you're committed to those two, like I just don't know how that works, let alone all the other complications with Al Horford, uh, Tobias Harris, etc. Yeah, just for the record, Al Horford, three years, $81 million, 
Tobias Harris three four years uh, basically four years 148 basically left on his deal 147 two I think it is that's that's a lot the, of money it is the weird <laughs> part though is you know ignore everything else to me Tobias Harris could be a, a real cool power forward on a Mike D'Antoni team I think that could yeah. work real well I don't know how to get him minutes at power forward when you've got you know Embiid and Horford and Ben Simmons around and you know how that exactly works but just theoretically, like I think he could make sense on a D'Antoni team if you rework everything else. But you're not gonna, build, you shouldn't build around Tobias Harris, right? Like no. you build around Joel Embiid and or Ben Simmons. Those are the building blocks. That's it. But I'm just saying, you got somebody who might fit. Yeah, exactly. It's harder to build around. I don't know. I, I, let's just say I've heard people spec in, in doing the speculation thing that. If you're building long term, you might lean towards Simmons for injury reasons and just the direction the game is going. But again, I think it's hard to build a Mike D'Antoni team around a guy who can't shoot. So from the outside, it's like you're still going to have to get shooters all the way around him. And it it just becomes interesting to see how they like they said, we're talking about major roster upheaval. That's just I, it, this is a franchise that since Sam Hinkie left for whatever you think of, of the process, they don't have a direction. Like they've been this, then they've been that, and and they haven't been anything. I think you can have one non-shooter, and that can be Simmons. Like he he pushes the pace very well as a point yes. guard. Like I think in that sense he Great fits passer. perfectly. And I, yeah, so I think he could be your non-shooter, but I don't know how that works with Embiid. And I think you could you could have an D'Antoni type team, especially the slow it down team. He showed uh, w- with Houston before Russell Westbrook got there uh, where there's a focal point who has the ball. That could be Joel Embiid, uh, it, even in the post, I think. But I don't know how that works with Simmons spacing the floor. That's why I say I don't think it can be both. But I can imagine a D'Antoni-type team with one or the other. Steve Nash landed in Brooklyn. I don't want to get into that one, but it just now we've talked about Billy Donovan and Mike D'Antoni and it, it, what might happen with him, but he'll land somewhere on his feet. And Steve Nash, not a black coach among them. Yeah. Uh, NBA teams too often. You know, Steve Nash is a, a good example. I don't think he was hired because he's white. I think he was hired because he has a personal relationship. And I'm not saying his whiteness had nothing to do with it. But I think the main thing was he had a personal relationship with Sean Marks. And yep. I, I think what happens often is people tend to hire people uh, that they that they know, that they're comfortable with. And when you have white owners who hire too many white executives and ends up hiring too many white coaches, like I don't think it's directly racism, but I think often it's indirectly uh, racism, how this manifests. Uh, I was very impressed. Uh, I mean, you know, this is taking his word for it, but Arturis uh, uh this is my best try at it, with, with the Bulls, like today introducing uh, Billy Donovan said he hired the best person available uh, regardless of prior relationship. I think people in hiring positions need to more actively take that mindset, uh, trying to find the best person, I don't know if our tourists did all of this uh, in terms of, you know, you need to assess your biases. You need to confront them yourself, trying to make sure that you're not picking for that reason, that you truly are doing the best you can to pick the best person for a job. And in the long run, if people are doing that, I think that will solve a lot of these issues uh, of people being treated unfairly in hiring practices. The well, he's a black coach, but he's also the biggest name out there now. Still, is Tyron Lue, 
Uh, a lot of people had him targeted for Brooklyn. He's not there now. Obviously, that's Nash's job. Um, if he's he's the other name that gets mentioned in Philly, and he's the more conventional choice. If you're not going to shake up the roster, um, do you, you you think he lands somewhere? I do. Uh, I mean, he could end up in Houston. New Orleans. He could end up in Houston. Uh, you know, I think there are options, places he'd fit. He's got a great record. He's won a championship. Uh, he's respected by players. Like he checks a lot of boxes for a win now team, and I think there are enough win now teams with openings uh, that I do think in the end he'll get a job. Yeah, I'm curious with New Orleans if they're willing to pay. That is a small market team. I'm just I'm curious if they're going to pay the Ty Lue or any elite coach. You know, Mike D'Antoni. I know that name got mentioned. I don't ever think that that was likely, but. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if they were going to pay that much with a small, the smallest of small market teams in the NBA, um, already paying Alvin Gentry at the back end of this. So I, we'll see. I think Ty Lue would be a great fit there for a team that is definitely quickly win now. I think, I feel like with Zion, there's a real pressure not only because he's so good, but because I, with his injury history, is it fair to say you want to do this on the front end of his career? I don't know if I'd go that far. You you run into the danger uh, of uh, what happened with Anthony Davis, where they tried to get good yeah. too quickly. They mortgaged their future. It didn't work, and and then you're always you know uh, playing from behind. You know, trading more first round picks, taking on uh, some more bad contracts to to get some talent in, and uh, you could never like get it all to coalesce at one moment when when Anthony Davis was peaking. I, you know, it's tough to predict when Zion will be at his best as a player. I don't think it's now. And I think you just got to hope, hey, you can keep him healthy. He gets into better shape. Everything comes together at a time when it's more natural to build up to a winner. If we're talking about the concern uh, of paying, though, I've got the same thing with Houston. Like Mike D'Antoni yeah. looked like a, a a good fit for that roster and that fell apart over contract issues. Yep, that's going to be interesting, too. Uh, Tillman Fertitta is... Uh an interesting owner where he's demanding a lot and i'm not sure he's willing to pay for what he's demanding at the level and so um, well but all you have to do is demand it right like if you just say hard enough we're gonna win like everybody will listen and win right that's how it works i'm a hard-nosed businessman i'm bringing that to the nba these are going to be hard a hard-nosed team stan <laughs> you, uh, you just gotta speak it into existence that. exactly uh, well, we speak this podcast into existence. We will be back uh, next week with more pro basketball talk. You can see all of Dan and I's work at NBCSports.com. You can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA. Um, I'm at Basketball Talk. And uh, we'll be back next week with more pro basketball talk podcast here at NBC Sports and uh, probably talking about the finals matchup. Hopefully. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.